A special thanks goes out to the folks at Anchor.fm for bringing you this podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, the conclusion of Serpentus Saragossae by John Isaac Jones. I'm Tom Zania, and this is Tom Reads Your Story. Coming to you almost live, it's time once again for Tom Reads Your Story, the number one spoken word podcast on the web for audiobooks, social media posts, current events, and just plain whatever. So let's start the show. For the next half hour, I'll be your host. I'm voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And we are back. Welcome back to Tom Reads Your Story, everyone. I'm glad you're here. So, last week, we listened to chapter one of Serpentus Saragossae. Uh, now, if uh, you were unable to be here, or if this is your first visit to the show, to the podcast, um, I'll tell you a little bit about what happened in a nutshell. We have a young boy, uh, a very young boy who has a terminal illness. His parents recently died. So he... Uh, was sent to live with his aunt Hilda. And that's pretty much where we stopped. And we found out uh, the type of person aunt Hilda is and how she uh, doesn't really treat young Wilton. uh, But that's his name, by the way, Wilton, uh, very well. Uh, We are going to be listening to chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, the conclusion of the story of Serpentus Saragossae, and of course the author is John Isaac Jones. Here it is. Chapter 2, His Single Joy. An imaginative, highly intelligent child, the single joy Wilton had in his loneliness was the time he spent at the marshes near the family home studying reptiles. He loved anything and everything about reptiles. The family home in southeast Georgia abutted the backwaters of the famous Okefenokee swamps, and, for Wilton, this broad expanse of black water that contained lush, verdant flora and a rich diversity of reptiles, was a sheer paradise. Frogs, snakes, turtles, lizards, and such held a special fascination for his curious eyes, and he could spend endless hours observing them and studying them. The only days he had any peace in his life were Tuesday and Saturday mornings. Those were the times when his Aunt Hilda went into town with one of the housekeepers to buy groceries. Oh, how he treasured those times. On these days, as soon as his aunt was gone, he would shoulder his backpack with his books inside, then trek the 150 yards across an open field behind the family home to the marshy bog beyond. Then 
He would sit for hours watching the creatures of nature go about their daily lives. His favorites were the frogs and snakes. He loved the quietness and beauty of the ball, the mysterious black water, the verdant filigreed ferns, the strangely shaped air plants that lived in the trees, and the tall reedy bulrushes along its edges were pure visual delights for Wilt. Oftentimes, he would watch a water moccasin conceal itself in the thick foliage along the water's edge, then wait for its prey. Moments later, to his delight, he would watch a field mouse which lived in the thick broom sage in the nearby field scurry up the water's edge to have a drink. Suddenly, an unseen enemy would spring out of nowhere, clasp the unsuspecting mouse in its jaws, then wrap its muscular body around the helpless creature and squeeze its life away. Its giant jaws would unhinge, and the viper would slowly ingest the tiny rodent. The beauty of nature, the unrelenting laws of the jungle, was what Wilton loved the most. On one particular Tuesday, some three weeks after he had hidden the turtle in the old tool shed, his Aunt Hilda announced that she was going into town to buy groceries. His heart leapt with joy at the words. Only moments after she was gone, Wilton shouldered his backpack with his herpetology books inside and started across the broomsage-filled field to the marsh. Upon arrival, he swung down the load, then spread out an old towel and took up a vigil to observe his reptilian friends. After only a few moments, he spotted a southern red-legged frog, Arana Aurora, sitting quietly on a log, dining on insects. He would watch closely as the amphibian, body perfectly still but eyes forever vigilant, waited patiently. Then, once an insect was within range, shoot out its narrow tongue, grasp the prey, then snatch the hapless insect back into its mouth. After he had been there only a few minutes, he heard someone call his name. Wilton, the person called. Wilton turned. It was his friend Carlton, a lanky, long-faced young man in his early twenties who had a beard and always wore a baseball cap. Carlton worked for the pet shop in town, collecting reptiles. He was dressed in camouflage gear and, in one hand, he carried a burlap bag and, in the other, a snake handler's tool. Wilton had encountered Carlton several times during his visits to the marsh. He knew Carlton loved reptiles as much as he did. Wilton, what are you doing? Carlton said in a deep southern drawl. Watching a red-legged frog have breakfast, Wilton replied. What you got in that sack? A velvet tail rattler and a couple of garter snakes. Can I see the velvet tail? Sure, Carlton replied. Then, holding the bag open with one hand, he used the other to probe around inside the sack with the snake handler's tool. After a few moments, he pulled out an earth-colored viper, which was twisting and turning under the pressure of the snake handler's tool. Wilton moved closer to inspect the creature. He's a beauty, Wilton said expertly. He's less than two years old. How do you know that? Carlton said. Look at the tip of the tail, Wilton said, just between the tail itself and the torso. 
Do you see how the color is a dark purple? Yeah, Carlton said, looking closely at the snake's tail. Never noticed that before. The tail won't turn a bright velvet color until the snake is at least two years old. Carlton was impressed. Where did you learn that? he asked. Wilton reached down to the backpack on the ground and withdrew a large book. From my Encyclopedia of Herpetology, Wilton said, handing the book to Carlton. Carlton laid aside the burlap bag and the snake handling tool, then began thumbing through the book. My goodness, he said. Look at all this. I've never seen so much information about reptiles. It's got all of the subspecies of water moccasins, copperheads, rattlers, garters, and even some coral snakes. He gazed intently at one of the pictures. Oh, my Lord, he said. I couldn't imagine seeing a coral snake as big as that one. Where did you get this book? My mother brought it for me, Wilton replied. You want to sell it? Oh, I couldn't do that, Wilton said. It's a gift from my mother. Carlton handed the book back to Wilton. Let me ask you something, Wilton said, replacing the book in his backpack. Have you ever seen a Serpentis Saragosa in these marshes? Oh, yeah, Carlton replied. I saw one last week sleeping on a log down at the east end of the marsh. They're rare, but I see one from time to time. If I see one, though, I don't mess with it because they're too dangerous. Yes, I know, Wilton said. Their poison coagulates human blood in less than four seconds. It's instant death. Carlton laughed. Did you hear the story about the guy who was bitten by a Saragossi? No. A man told his friend, I've been bitten by a Saragossi. What do I do now? The friend replied, Find a nice, quiet place to lie down and die. <laughs> Both had a big laugh. Are you interested in getting a Saragossi? I would love to have one, Wilton said. I understand they have the most beautiful coloration of any snake in nature. Oh, yes, Carlton said. They're a yellowish mint green color. When the sun shines on a Saragossi, there is a beautiful golden green luster to the scales. If you ever see a Saragossi in bright sunlight, you will never forget it. Could I keep one at home? Sure, Carlton said. But you need one of those store-bought poisonous reptile cages. The cage has a special door for food and water and a locked top so he can't get out. What would you feed it? Frozen mice, he said. We got plenty of them at the shop. How long are you planning on keeping it? Not sure, Wilton replied. Carlton studied his friend for a moment. Tell you what, Carlton continued. I'll make you a deal. I'll get you a Saragossi and one of those poisonous snake cages. We've got some used ones at the shop. I'll even throw in three or four frozen mice. What do you want in return? Wilton asked. That book on reptiles, Carlton said. Wilton studied him for a moment. Let me think about it, Wilton said. I'd love to have one. I've seen pictures of them in books, but have never seen one in real life. I could spend hours and hours watching him. Well, I've got to get going, Carlton said. The shop wants me to find a rainbow garter snake. 
Some guy came in last week and offered to pay $100 for one. I promised the owner I'd find one. I'll see you later. Then he turned and started walking away. Bye, Carlton, Wilton said. If you decide you want a Saragossi, let me know, he said. I will, Wilton replied. Remember, I'm here on Tuesday and Saturday mornings. Carlton waved goodbye, then disappeared behind a thick stand of bulrushes. Chapter 3 More Torment Thirty minutes later, Wilton was back at home. The family car was still gone, so he knew his Aunt Hilda was absent. The moment he stepped into the backyard, he knew he had to use the bathroom immediately, but he wanted to check on Oscar first. Quickly, he ducked inside the shed, removed the old clothes and gardening tools, then peered inside the cage at his friend. Oscar was sleeping soundly. Satisfied that his prize was safe, he exited the shed and started for the house. In his haste, he forgot to close the shed door. At the back porch steps, he wiped the mud off his feet on the mat, then dashed into the house to use the bathroom. Once he exited the bathroom, he went into the kitchen to make his favorite snack, heavily buttered toast and raspberry jam with a glass of cold milk. The moment he took the buttered toast out of the oven, he heard the family car pull up in the front yard. Then he heard a car door slam, and he knew his Aunt Hilda and the housekeeper would be bringing groceries into the kitchen. Instinctively, he knew to prepare himself for an attack. Moments later, Aunt Hilda her arms laden with sacks of food, appeared in the kitchen. "'Good morning, Aunt Hilda,' Wilton said. She glanced absently at the child. Then she and the domestic began putting the food items into the cupboards and the pantry. Moments later, they were finished, and the aunt approached him at the table. "'Look at the mess you're making!' she shouted. Melted butter is dripping off the toast onto the linen tablecloth. You always put on too much butter, and you don't have to use all the raspberry jam, she said, picking up the jar and noting that it was almost empty. Go on, she said. Get out of my kitchen and go to your room to eat. Dejectedly, the child got up from the table, then went to his room to finish his raspberry toast. Poor Wilton. There seemed to be no salvation for him. Moments later, as he was finishing his toast, he heard Aunt Hilda at the back porch. Wilton, she shouted, have you been in the shed? Through the bedroom window, he watched as she strode across the backyard, peered into the shed, then went inside. Instantly, his heart filled with fear that she would go looking for Oscar. Moments later, his worst fears were confirmed when he heard the loud thumps of boxes and other objects were being shifted in the shed. His heart sank. Moments later, she came out of the tool shed carrying the old wooden box 
Oscar had been calling home. Instantly, he dashed out of his room, down the hallway, and into the backyard. Wait, wait, the child pleaded. Please, please, please don't hurt Oscar. Please don't kill my turtle. Then, totally unmindful of the child's words, she reached her hand inside the box and withdrew the turtle. The frightened creature had curled up into a ball within its protective shell. Then, in a single motion, she drew back and threw the balled-up turtle against the oak tree in the backyard. The sudden impact made a sickening thud as it bounced off the sturdy oak tree and came to rest in the brown mulch at its trunk. Now don't bring any more creatures near this house, she shouted. Frogs and turtles are nasty, filthy creatures. They don't belong anywhere near this house. Then, arms akimbo, she stood over the child like a slave master would a charge. Do you hear me? She shouted. Yes, ma'am, he said sadly. Finally, she turned, marched back up the back porch steps, and slammed the door behind her. Instantly, Wilton went to the oak tree and picked up the turtle. Its beautiful multicolored shell had been split open from the impact of hitting the oak tree. Blood was oozing out of the bottom of the shell and the poor creature's green head, its eyes closed in death, was hanging limply to one side. Wilton burst into tears. Chapter 4 Fair Trade The following Tuesday, once his aunt and the domestic had gone into town, he shouldered his backpack and headed across the broom sage field to the marshy bog beyond. As he approached the bog, he saw Carlton, his burlap bag and snake tool in hand, probing through the tall grasses some fifty yards away. He called. Carlton waved and started walking toward him. After greetings, Carlton turned immediately to business. I got a Saragossae, he said. Caught him last week down on the south end of the marsh. He's a nice one, a full three feet long. You ready to make a deal? I'm ready, Wilton said. When do you want to bring him? I can meet you here tomorrow, Carlton said. I can't come tomorrow, Wilton said. Let's make it Saturday morning. Suit yourself, Carlton said. I've got everything I promised, the snake, the cage, and some frozen rats. I'll be here, Wilton said. Don't forget to bring the book, Carlton said. I won't, Wilton replied. Over the next five days, Wilton was a perfect child when he was around his Aunt Hilda. He went out of his way to not make a mess in the kitchen. He didn't protest when she rushed in each morning to rouse him out of bed. If he went outside, he checked his shoes closely before re-entering the house. His table manners were impeccable, and everything was yes ma'am and no ma'am and can I help and 
Would it be okay if I went outside? In each and every way, he tried to be a perfect gentleman. In fact, on the following Friday, Aunt Hilda even complimented him on his behavior. It looks like you're finally learning to take orders, she said. It's about time. The following morning, after Aunt Hilda and the housekeeper were gone, Wilton shouldered his backpack and headed back to the marsh. Carlton was waiting at the point where they had met previously. The moment Wilton spotted him, he started across the field toward him. On the ground in front of Carlton was a metal, finely meshed wire cage. Wilton rushed up. I want to see the Saragossi, he said excitedly. Instantly, he unshouldered the backpack and was on the ground beside the cage, peering inside. My, my, Wilton said with sheer wonder in his eyes. What a beautiful creature. For several minutes, he peered delightedly inside the cage, admiring the reptile's brilliant yellowish mint green color. The perfect oval shape of the snake's head and the fine-looking sculpture lines from its immediate neck to its torso was a thing of beauty to Wilton. Never have I seen a more beautiful reptile, he said. Now let me explain about the cage, Carlton said. Always keep the top locked. If for some reason you have to put your hand in there, you'll need one of those special heavy leather gloves with the long sleeves. That's what we use at the shop. Carlton indicated two doors on either end of the cage. This one, he said, indicating with his forefinger, is where you drop in the frozen rats. This one over here, he said, indicating again, is where you pour in water. I got it, Wilton said. And here are four frozen mice to feed it, Carlton said holding up a plastic bag containing the carcasses of four dead mice. They've thawed a little since this morning, but if you put them in the freezer, they'll be fresh when you're ready to feed him. Now, I've already fed him one today, so there will be no need to feed him again for a week. Wilton didn't answer right away. He was still admiring the beauty of the creature. You got all that? Carlton asked. I got it, Wilton replied. So we got a deal? Yep, Wilton said happily. We got a deal. Instantly he turned, unzipped the backpack, and handed Carlton the Encyclopedia of Herpetology. Carlton smiled as he took the book. Thanks, he said, admiring the volume. I'm going to enjoy this. Wasting no time, Wilton placed the package of dead mice inside his backpack and prepared to leave. Well, I've got to go now, he said. Thanks, Carlton. Thank you, Carlton said. Then, hurriedly, Wilton picked up his backpack and the cage with the snake inside and dashed back across the field. Back at home, he went straight to the old shed. Once inside, 
he placed the metal cage on the same table where Oscar had been housed. Then he went into the house and straight to his room, where he retrieved an old lock and key he had once used to lock his toy box. Back at the shed, he locked the cage door, then stacked two boxes atop the cage, then some old clothes on top of the boxes, and finally some old sheets atop the clothes. Finally, satisfied with himself, he turned and started for the house, leaving the shed door open. At the back porch, he wiped the mud off his shoes then went to his room and placed the key in an old shoebox he kept on the top shelf of the closet. He waited. Chapter 5 Serpentus Saragossae Thirty minutes later, he heard the family car pulling up in the driveway. He could hear his aunt and the housekeeper chattering as they brought the groceries into the house. At the back porch steps, he could hear his aunt Hilda voice her consternation at the sight of the mud. Look at that, she said. That little brat. He's been down at the bog again and brought some new creature into this house. Just wait till I get a hold of him. Wilton waited. He knew she and the housekeeper would put away the groceries before she came to his room. For several moments, he could hear the opening and closing of cupboards and the refrigerator door. Finally, the sounds of putting away food ended. Then he heard the marching step of her feet coming down the hallway to his room. The door burst open. Good morning, Aunt Hilda he said. She snarled. Don't good morning me, you little brat, she screamed. You've been back in the swamps again, haven't you? No, the child said. Don't you lie to me, she screamed. There is fresh marsh mud on the back porch steps. Wilton looked up at her with pitiful eyes. I know that look, she said. Wilton looked away dejectedly. Where it is, she shouted angrily. Tell me where it is or I'll search until I find it. He didn't answer. Instantly, she started tearing the room apart. First, she looked under the bed. Then she started checking all the drawers in the bureau. Next, she peeked in both drawers of the small table behind his bed. Then she went to the closet and started pulling out clothes. Finally, after she had found nothing, she glared angrily at the child. Tell me, tell me where it is, she demanded. Tell me where you hid that creature. Wilton didn't answer. Suddenly, she stopped as if she had a realization. The shed, she said suddenly. You put it in the same place where you tried to hide the turtle, didn't you? Wilton looked away without speaking. Quickly she stepped to the window and glanced toward the shed. She could see the door was open. That's all I need to know, she said, turning to leave the room. Your silence confirms your guilt. With that, she stormed out of his room and slammed the door. 
Wilton could hear her footsteps passing through the hallway and the slam of the back door. Through the open bedroom window, he watched as she entered the shed. For a long moment, there was silence. Then a clamor of movement and several loud thuds as if large objects were being jostled about. Moments later, she exited the shed and marched back across the backyard and into the house. I found your little treasure trove, she said. Now where's the key? The child shrugged his shoulders in ignorance. Don't you mess with me, she shouted. Where's the key? Wilton didn't answer. Suddenly, she rushed toward him. Then, standing over him like a slave master, she reached down, grasped the front of his shirt, and started shaking him violently. Tell me, you little brat, she shouted. Tell me where the key is. Wilton's frail body withered quickly under the violent shaking. It's in the shoebox, he blurted out. On the top shelf of the closet. She stopped shaking him, then glared at him angrily again and released her grip. Instantly, she went to the closet and pulled down the shoebox from the top shelf. Then, gleefully removing the top, she pulled out the key. Aha! she said with pure delight. Look what I found! Then, thrusting the key into his face, she stood threateningly over the child. You can't fool me, you little brat, she said. I know all your dirty little secrets. Once she exited the room, Wilton turned to watch through the bedroom window as she crossed the yard and went into the old tool shed again. He waited. He tried to time her actions in his mind. Now she is unlocking the lock, he told himself. Now she is opening the hinged flap at the top of the cage. He waited. Now she was feeling very proud of herself that she had discovered another one of Wilton's reptile friends. He knew she was thrusting her hand inside the darkened cage to grasp the creature and pull it out. For a long moment, he waited and watched the open door of the shed for some movement. Finally, seconds later, he saw a human hand and part of an arm thrust through the door opening. Then, after a few seconds, fall to earth. For a long moment, the hand trembled slightly, then fell limp. He waited. Seconds later, he saw a yellowish-green creature slither over the motionless human hand, then make its way across the green grass of the backyard. As it curled and twisted its way across the grass, he marveled at how brilliantly its neon mint-green coloring stood out against the forest green of the lawn grass. He watched the creature slowly complete its journey across the grass to the dirty white sand beyond, then head for the open field and the marshy bog. Wilton smiled at the sight. Instantly, he was in the kitchen. Carefully, he carved off two thick slices of fresh bread. Then, after dabbing them with more than adequate butter, he popped them into the oven. Next, he went to the refrigerator and poured a tall glass of cold milk. Moments later, he removed the hot buttered toast, then placed it on a plate and the table. 
Once seated, he spread huge globs of raspberry jam across the bread's buttery surface. As he brought the delicacy to his mouth, huge globs of melted butter dripped off the toast and onto the white linen tablecloth. Moments later, without fear, he took a huge bite and luxuriated in its fruity, buttery flavor. Suddenly, in the hallway, he heard one of the housekeepers strolling through the house, calling for his aunt. "'Miss Westbrook!' she called. "'Yoo-hoo, Miss Westbrook, where are you?' Wilton heard the back door slam, then watched as the young woman strode along the rock walkway to the old tool shed. Suddenly, there was a horrific scream, then a loud clamor. Moments later, the housekeeper burst through the back door and announced to the other housekeeper, "'Miss Westbrook! Miss Westbrook!' she screamed. "'Something terrible has happened to Miss Westbrook! What is it?' yelled the second housekeeper. "'In the shed! She's face down in the shed!' screamed the first housekeeper. "'I think she's dead!' "'Oh, my heavens!' said the second housekeeper frantically. "'What a terrible tragedy! "'Oh, such grief and sorrow! "'Who is going to tell little Wilton?' "'In the kitchen, Wilton listened quietly "'as he took another huge bite "'of heavily buttered raspberry toast, "'then washed it down with a swig of fresh milk. "'The End.' And that's it, folks. That's all she wrote, <laughs> or that's all he wrote. Um, that was, of course, Serpentis Saragossi. I hope you like that story. And uh, <laughs> come back, come back and visit us again real soon, okay? I hope you show up and listen to some more wonderful little stories like that. <laughs> that was, of course, by John Isaac Jones, as I've said before. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Tom Reads Your Story. Portions were pre-recorded. Please tell your friends if you enjoyed your visit today, because we are always looking for new ones. Thanks, Anchor.fm, for this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Till next time, take care, everyone. Bye now. This is Tom Zania. For more information on my availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project, visit my website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again real soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story.